the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with who's my co-host Robert. Hello, I have not died. Not only that, but he has survived a lengthy uh, trip to the Dallas GT over the past weekend. We'll be getting his eyewitness account of the event, as well as his progress throughout the event, plus some news from throughout the Warhammer tournaments. We had several big tournaments, um, including a huge one in Spain. We'll have our ITC rankings, as we always have, as well as uh, Life in the Mid-Table Obscurity. We've got a quick update on that as well. But first, the rapid-fire segment, as always. So a couple quick questions. So, Robert, you got a chance to play Custodes. question I have for you is, Custodes, six weeks ago, were at the top one of the top three armies in the game. Henry Cavill admitted he plays Custodes and is a huge fan. They bring him on a tour of Games Workshop headquarters like no other access has ever been given, and then the balanced data sheet comes out. So my question to you is, what did Henry Cavill do? Uh, well, I don't think Henry Cavill did anything because Henry Cavill is an actor, and he just likes the hobby. Last time I checked, I've never seen him go to a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised, actually. Um, Kurt Chilling, the famous baseball player, he used to go to. Uh, he was a big historical player, so he would go to conventions all the time. So, and he had he had a little. And of course, Kurt Schilling is uh, known throughout baseball as being the one of the more uh, fan unfriendly people. <laughs> it's like the app. <laughs> so you, he'd purposely say, "I'm here to play games. I'm not here to sign autographs. Go away." So, oh yeah, I remember him. He used to be a pitcher for the Diamondbacks. That's right. Yes, he was. He was um, definitely fantastic in the game, but wow, real life, not so much. But anyway. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, I don't think it was Henry's fault as much as Superman (laughs) can do. I don't think he can convince the the mighty power that is Games Workshop to give Custodes a natural zero up armor save and a three up feel no pain. Indeed. Uh, by the time you're hearing this podcast, we are recording on Monday, the 2nd of May. 48 hours from now, we expect a big reveal of part of the reveal show at the Games Workshop event in Seattle this coming week. Already, we got a cover of the Chaos Space Marine Codex. What do you think of the new artwork? Well, it's darn pretty. I'm probably not going to play it unless... Unless... Uh, the World Eaters Codex was a myth, and they have an entire World Eater section with Demon Angron in it. It's interesting that uh, several sources have confirmed that World Eaters are not in the book, indicating that we may be getting a separate codex. So I thought that was rather interesting, but we'll see what actually happens. Uh, interesting, the leaks so far have kind of been clamped down. And then I bet, you know, within a few weeks of release, all of a sudden they come flying back. But one thing that was released on the Warhammer community page is the brand new Demon Prince model. Uh, thoughts on that? See, it's it's really hard to say because I liked the old Demon Princes where it was a nice uh, template you could build off of. Whereas this one, it's still a nice template. But man, he looks like a freaking pig. They squished his face something bad. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple... I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. But then again, I know when the new um, Keeper of Secrets came out, I was like, meh. And then when I saw it in person, I went, ooh, hello. <laughs> oh, no, it, it's a great-looking new Demon Prince. I, I think what it was is they took the extra length of his torso 
and probably his face and chopped it off so that way he could have a larger wingspan. So that way he could look at a half tire and see and go, see, I have big wings too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but curious to see what other new models. This is, I think, of all the models that needed a, a glow up. I was kind of surprised, like you said, the Demon Prince, really? That's actually a good one. So yeah, I was a little I, surprised by that. I think it's mainly because of the fact that um, some other images were shown off that the Slaves to Darkness stuff for um, Age of Sigmar are getting a humongous upbringing. And the Demon Prince is in that book. So it's more Age of Sigmar fitting than it is 40k. What other glow-ups did we see from that? I missed that. I probably saw Age of Sigmar um, and probably looked the other way. <laughs> well, it was just a lot of... Someone had a picture of them holding what looked like the collector's edition. It was a... It was like a solid black cover with gold lettering, like a chaos skull on the front of it. It was a really pretty book. Um, but otherwise, we just saw some images of... Like the Demon Prince data sheet and some other internal stuff. It wasn't a. It wasn't any big leak. Any big leaks like the Tyranid stuff. But I mean, on aesthetics alone, the Demon Prince is definitely a winner. It honestly looks better than the Parasite of Mortrex because the Parasite of Mortrex I thought was going to be this big old monster bug, and it's only about the size of a custode. It's that small. I thought it was the size of Tyranid Warrior. Okay. Well, it's because it's on like a 40 millimeter base. That's why I say custode. But yeah, no, it, that thing, I thought it was going to be huge. Like a like a half size hive tyrant. Right. But no, no. <laughs> it's a tiny little thing. I'm just like, okay. That is uh, surprising. Okay. I had no idea. Oh, and the funny, I just watched Alien vs. Predator again yesterday, so I was thinking about him, you know, the whole depositing eggs on people. It's all that fun stuff. What do you mean I have a case of Ripper Swarms? Uh, <laughs> sir, you no longer have a chest cavity? <laughs> it's a clever idea, so I was kind of like, okay, we'll see how it plays in. Now, Tyranids have definitely had a strong debut, not quite as over-the-top as some of the other new codices, but uh, still feeling their presence down. We'll get into the exact details in a little bit, but... Um, Curious to see, you know, with interesting, a lot of people are thinking knights are done on arrival. Agree or disagree? Well, from what I've seen, knights are, they still suffer from the issue of, guess what? You bring an entire collection of big stompy knights, the big stompy knights just die. Because, um, again, they can't hide. So you're forced to play into Armagers, which the Armagers are are really, really, really good. Because <laughs> all of the Armagers, if you are a Knight Army, are obsec. And I fully expect to see something like two large Knights, and then anywhere from five to nine armagers depending on points values and stuff like mm -hmm. that i've been hearing talk about the yeah, these this mass armature spam type ideas and 
or just the idea of splashing a knight into a regular army is it's kind of like the old Brandon Grant uh, Castellan with Imperial Guard type idea. Yeah, that is definitely a thing. Like um, one of our friends that lives out in Texas, his name is um, Marcus. He pointed out something that um, you can take the knights and you can take Bellacor. And with the way some of the new abilities for knights work, they're based off of your leadership. Well, Bellacor interacts with leadership to the point where you can actually make your opponent just automatically fail morale tests. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. Is... The, I don't know all the details. Okay. But it, it's a it's a whole bunch of crazy high level thought that I just can't get into right now. Hmm. <laughs> It's an interesting idea. I was a big fan of um, this morale manipulation and all that. So it's always curious to hear. Okay, so it just never seems to, like on paper, it always seems like, it's oh, this is going to be devastating because you're basically removing models wholesale. I don't care about your invul saves, your feel no pains or whatever. Just pick up models, yeah, all four wounds at a time. And it just never seems to pan out on the tabletop. I don't know why. It it's um it is definitely a thing of well, knights are just really good at killing things, so that's what they yeah. do. Um, whereas if you bring whatever this crazy idea is with Bellicor and messing with leadership, that takes a lot of kind of like how Jim Vessel and TJ Lanigan list from 8th edition with all mm -hmm. of the like Poxwalker or Plague Bearer screening and like positionals and whatnot really mattered. It's that kind of play, but you get to do it with really big models. <laughs> right. So because um from what I've seen, the um the main interaction that you have with knights to your opponent that isn't murdering all of their models is their their dread abilities which is a humongous bubble off of their bases yeah that was i had to reread that i was like oh my gosh what does this do now so mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty pretty ruckusing <laughs> and the only thing that i know will need to get faq'd because some of the paragraphs that are going to exist um, one of them implies something else. One of them implies that you you gain one and then lose it as you go through the rounds. And the other paragraph implies that you go to step one, you go to step two, and you keep step one and you continue down the process. So at turn five, you have all five of these buffs that you go through. So that's something that's going to have to be cleared up real quick. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just confused listening to this. Oh my God. Okay. But basically it's like a stacking, but so curious are knights getting, it sounds like power from pain or are they some, no, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's more of, um, it's another system as like doctrines, command protocols, katas. It's, it's some, it's kind of like that. So you could factor it as powers of pain. Um, it's their doom, darkness, and despairs. Oh, 
their their dreads basically because um games workshop revealed a few of them and revealed how the system worked so the um so in battle round one you always start in doom which is the middle table then as you go through the battle rounds you pick either you can either stay in doom which is the middle table and go all and get its bonus for round two or you can hop over to doom well to darkness or despair and then you get that benefit for that battle round so in um one paragraph it mentions how it works where you hop from one to one and you get that ability for the round but in another paragraph it implies that when you go from round one to round two you keep whatever benefit was from round one along with getting round two's benefit so then you repeat the process by going to round three so you keep round one round two and you get round three's effect okay so we'll bring up the next question it always comes up should codices be tournament legal before or after the first FAQ comes out? Um, well, it depends, honestly, on on a few things. Like, for instance, knights. I I'm pretty sure, aside from this one little issue that I think because my brain thinks differently. Because I want it to be fair. I don't want it to be unfair. But I'm pretty sure I'm overthinking it. Which is why it sounds unfair. But um, yeah. I think books should be legal. Before FAQs come out. So that way people can actually send in. their like hey this is an issue. Fix this please. Kind of emails. So that way. Games Workshop hopefully. Gets enough data. So that, that way they can actually fix things. True. Indeed, indeed. Quick recap from Dallas GT, by the way. Art of War taking uh, several spots in the top five. Are professional players good or bad for the game right now? Um, I think overall they're a good thing because it shows that this hobby can have a truly professional level of play where people can think very tactically, very sharply and understand how to do these things in a way that like a military general would apply things and hopefully not do it in real life because these things would be silly. Um, but also there, there does end up needing to be that separation where a player can be a professional and go, yes, I play this for money, and this is my job. It's my job to win. And and when they leave the table and they leave that space, they can turn off that switch and go back to being Mr. Beer and Pretzels. Unlike Kurt Schilling, who we mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, essentially that's the issue. Like If you're choosing to be a professional player full-time, you need to understand that you can't keep that mentality at a oh you go to a local man a local eight man rtt that you're doing on your own time you're not getting paid for this one show up with like a really bad army and just have fun <laughs> like 
don't be a bully. Now, people who go to eight-round super majors and whatnot, you can totally be a bully there because you want to win that event because that event is huge and prestigious. Right. <laughs> Indeed it is. Yeah, it's interesting that there's been some knock about it. But I, mean, I agree. One thing that's, if you want to call this a sport, for lack of a better term, but uh, the fact that anybody can play, anybody has a chance of winning, and... Um, as, as shown, you know, they these guys are not unfallible. On the other hand, I'm not jealous of their ability. I'm more jealous of their time. Because um, uh, I remember at the peak, let's say, of my competitive career, I was playing four to four games a week, so 16 games a month. Right now, I'm playing four games a month right now. And it's I can I know the rust is building up. I know the it's taking longer to come up with lists. It's or what the changes to make, and you can get that analysis paralysis. So the idea that these guys are probably playing four games a day, even if they play two games a day, that's eight games, you know, eight to ten games a week. That's pretty cool. And get to hang out with my friends and talk about the games all around the clock. It's all pretty awesome. Uh, they also put out good content. So you know, in that regard. Um, I'd say more power to them. And I will also reference an article I did previously in the, this podcast as well as a previous podcast. They, there was a scientific study done of chess players. And they determined, okay, what's the difference between a, a master and a grandmaster in terms of genetic makeup? So unlike professional sports like football or baseball or something like that, um, or especially basketball, somebody as short as I am is probably not going to make the NBA. Uh, that being said, there's no genetic makeup that makes somebody a better chess player. It's probably the closest approximation we can come to the a 40K player. So it really just comes down to practice. Practice your craft and take it seriously and stay in tune with what's going on in the meta. So um, you want you don't like <laughs> taking a, a, another sports metaphor. Um, you don't like these guys winning? Uh, beat them. Get good. <laughs> like um, that kind of idea, I will actually bring up in my talks about my last round at Dallas Open, which was into an army that I have not a lot of experience in. And as I mentioned to people in private, it came to very much a, a roll of a four up. And if I got the four up, I probably won. If I didn't get the four up, which obviously happened, I would lose. <laughs> yeah. And you hit it right on that. There's definitely, even in our local meta or you, whoever you're listening to, you, you have your, you get greater experiences against, I remember, um, so the old podcast uh, I used to be on, one of the guys, they, they had a very tiny meta where they, they all lived. They only had like five players. One of the guys was playing Chaos Demons and that was one of the boogeyman factions at the time. And on the, I was like, I, well, I, if you play them twice a week, you learn how to beat them. It's pretty easy. This is all you do. And sure enough, you, you would wipe up. And everyone else is like, I ah, couldn't figure it out. Because you, know, you probably only play like two or three players that have Chaos Team. It eventually became a, the Fate Crusher list was the, the big popular one at this time. I'm the same way. I've, I don't think we have any guard players in our local group. Um, so... I fear guard. I fear Gene Steeler cult because I've played them twice in my entire 40k career. 
I have no idea what they do. What what's this blip nonsense? I have no idea what to prepare for. Mm-hmm. So, Which, on the, actually on the topic of Gene Seeder Cult, um, a I actually got to meet one of our fans at the Dallas Open, uh, Mister Talon Rooney. What's up, Talon? Yep, he at the end of round seven, he was four and three with Gene Seeder Cult. In fact, he was exactly one point higher than me. So if we were doing up and down bracketing, I was either going to play him or probably Custodes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was super excited to get the chance to play against me. And he seemed like a really, really cool dude. But yeah, no, he admitted that Gene Studio Colts is a really, really hard army to play. <laughs> it seems like it's awesome. And it's one of those things where I'm kind of on the fence. Like, I I need another army. Like, I need a hole in the head. But it's just one of those, this looks like a really cool army to play. No idea. No no understanding whatsoever of it. Oh, yeah. It's the same thought process as me with Chaos Knights. Like, um, am I going to be really good with Chaos Knights? Nope. They are just big, stumpy robots. And they're going to be really cool to hit people with. Mm-hmm. All right, let's make the transition into the Dallas GT. We've been kind of skirting around it quite a bit. Uh, so your top 10 looks something like this. Uh, Anthony Birdsong coming in 10th place with Eldari. Carmen Batista with 9th place with Custodes. In 8th place, Oliver Smith with Tau Sept. Clifton Merkel Russell with High Fleet Behemoth. Kit Smith Hannah with Tyranids. Jack Harpster the Diptus Auroritas, Andrew Ganyo, who actually won the Renman Award for this particular event, came in fourth with Tau Empire. John Lennon went third with Tyranids. Stephen Crawley with High Feet Leviathan. And in first place, we haven't heard this name much all year, but it's always lurking around. Nick Nadavati winning the event, going a perfect 8-0 with the Suriani. Yep. It was definitely a great, great run for most people like um the looking at nick's overall score he never scored a perfect game with eldar but i mean if you score enough 95s or higher it'll probably keep you up in the top bracket for the entire event yeah when i used to live back east and uh had to play against nick in the, the local area it's just like well he, he uses this really sneaky tactic to get out so i don't have to play him and then it said he wins all this game, so I never get paired into him because I'm in the mid-tables. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's points or points. I mean, at the end of the day, he goes 8-0, and, and um, no one else did. So, congratulations. And um, I always remembered him being in the Suriani, so I'm just going to take a quick look at his list real quick. And I guess I did review this previously. It's very similar. Just a lot of um, toolboxes. Uh, between Baharoth, uh, Howling Banshees, a Wraith Lord, a bunch of war, war walkers for uh, scouting purposes. Um, but the big thing that really made his list hum is he used a custom craft world, which is starting to get um, a lot more traction where you're getting sixes to hit cause uh, an automatic wound, I believe it is. I have to double check that. Yeah, it's, um, it's essentially um, it's Hail of Doom and Masterful Shots. Yep. So it's sixes automatically wound with shuriken weapons and because they're shuriken weapons when and they it was something like sixes automatically wound and they count as sixes to wound so you're getting the extra ap off of the shuriken hits 
it's I think that's the initial kind of idea behind the custom craft the custom yeah. craft world at that point because he has um, two units of nine dire avengers and the vipers all have shuriken cannons more shuriken cannons on windriders so it's literally if you go through his entire list and he also has a webway gate um, you will look at almost every data sheet has at least the mention of shuriken in one of its weapons outside of his swooping hawks because they have last blasters correct so it, it's definitely the idea of if he's playing to kill you he's trying to eliminate having to roll one extra dice at all which is the to wound roll yep and the other ability by the way is uh he ignores uh light cover as well so mm, that additional okay. bonus yeah the additional bonus of the uh shuriken ap just adds to it so that was the bit i was missing because the custom craft worlds i haven't looked over a whole lot because yep. i'm a i'm a sucker for playing the the classic sub factions and not being big brain enough to build my own so every now and then yeah come over something but yeah generally the the home the homegrown ones aren't quite as good as the rich and famous ones but anyway so, uh, Robert, tell us a little bit about your experience at the event. Well, I had a great time, to put it, to put it in simple terms. Um, I went four and four. My Some of my losses were a little... Some of them were not exciting. Some of them were big goofs. And I had one really dramatic one. So... My losses were to Dark Angels, Necrons, Ultramarines, and Tau. Uh, Dark Angels was a really boring loss. The opponent was a great guy. I lost to him by 10 points simply because of the fact that we were on Tide of Conviction and he, he was Dark Angels. He was Deathwing. <laughs> so I can only chew through so many Terminators in one go. Yeah, that was the hard part with that. It's just do I have enough bullets to actually kill this guy? <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was just the because of the fact that, oh, I can walk from this objective onto that objective without really losing a unit. So Stubborn Defiance, Banners, and to the last, literally the game plan of don't interact with the Custodes. Which ended up working, but I did get one Terminator brick out of him. So that's why you only beat me by 10 and not by like 20. Um, my third round was into Necrons. That one um, was probably probably my roughest round because of the fact that um, we didn't get very far in our turn. We, between certain things, we both played a little bit slower than we had liked. I made some really bad tactical errors on picking secondaries, like um taking Auric Mortalis, which essentially told him, hey, put the king in the corner and you get an automatic 15 points against me. Um, which was a really dumb idea. If I didn't take that one, I probably might have taken the game from him. Um, and then Ultramarines. That one I just flopped flat on my face. Where 
out of something like 60 saves in the first shooting phase of Ultramarines, I only rolled like 25 four-ups. And then my last round into Tau was probably the closest game I'll ever have into Tau ever again. Because <laughs> he brought 13 Crisis Suits, he brought Long Strike and two Hammerheads, and I actually still had an army left after his mock call was over. That's interesting. Okay. Given that the table I was on was had a gigantic piece of terrain in the middle that was something like almost a foot and a half wide, if not more. And I I did we both use it to our advantage. It made it so that way my bikes couldn't just fly forward and shoot him. But it also meant that he could keep his entire crisis suit unit safe from me going first. And that one, it, the thing that initially made it a really close game was my bike captain on third turn along with three bikes, flew over this obscuring building, picked up long strike and one hammerhead, and then his ethereal. Well, he had one marker drone left on the table. So he tried to marker light my bike captain. He failed. Well, he shot my bike captain with a hammerhead. The hammerhead was hitting on a five. Guess what number he rolled? Six. No, he rolled exactly a five, but pretty close. Ah. Um, and he ignores my invuln with the railgun. It's whatever. Um, he rolled maximum damage on the railgun. My bike captain survived that with two wounds left. But then the mortal wounds, I only ignored one of them. So he literally killed the bike captain to a wound. Which then made my Terminator have to run from my Aqualon Terminator run from the middle of the table all the way to one of the no man's land objectives where I needed a four plus. Well, I essentially needed a five to try and get on this objective to get stranglehold and potentially take the game from him because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have gotten hold more at the end of the game without having to kill my Terminator, which I would have been able to transhuman against a railgun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was a really close game. I only lost to him by four points. Oh, man. Ah, those are learned from the experience, I guess, but yeah, it sounds like it was a great game though. So it's a lot oh, of fun. Yeah, no, the, the opponent was great. Um, my, my Aqualon Terminators got into combat with a five-man crisis suit unit and held them there for two turns while I punched them to death. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> and I also picked up his um, Enforcer suit commander on the second turn because he came in and charged because he had like this really big, crazy like strength 12 melee weapon or something. Oh, is that the uh, Onager gauntlet thingy? Whatever it was, he got stuck in combat with Custodian Guard for two turns. Meh. 
and then my bike captain heroically intervened and went, yeah, no, we're going to pick up your commander now. Thanks. Yeah, we're done with this. Thank you. But oh no, it, it was the closest game I've had into Tau ever. And of all factions, the most common one I had to play at this event was Grey Knights. I played two of them. Wow. We'll get into that when we talk about mid-table obscurity. That's interesting. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the External House Podcast. So, of course, we have to talk about some of the controversies. There seems to be one in every large event, which is an exaggeration and not always the truth. But there was one this week, and normally this is the time we talk about illegal lists or crazy dice shenanigans or just players not behaving properly. This is by far one of the bizarrest stories I've ever had to cover. So the announcement was made by the uh, tournament organizer, uh, head ref there, and um, long the short of it is it was time for the painting competition, and generally a display board can really help your army do better at the painting part of the competition. Just make sure it's your display board. Yeah, when I heard this happen, I, I very much scratched my head going, huh? So apparently a player used a display board without asking the owner's permission ahead of time, after the fact, whatever. It wasn't 100% clear. Long short, and not like he just he snuck it out to his car and took it home. He actually put his army on it and entered it into the, the event for the painting competition. So uh, the judge looked at him like, are you kidding me? And um, issued a red card and the player was dismissed from the tournament. Mm-hmm. So there's interesting take on this a little bit. And if the most part is um, it's theft. Uh, code of conduct refers to not touching other people's models without permission. So it seems like a pretty clear-cut decision at this point. And uh, however, there it, it's not going away. It's now Monday night, and there are still posts flying back and forth throughout the uh, internet. So, uh, curious where you guys land on this. Let us know on our Facebook page. We'll be posting this uh, with this episode. Just put it in the comment section. To me, it seems pretty clear-cut. Um, 
Don't touch other people's stuff. What's what's these <laughs> some of these you know it's, even the display boards? I was shocked to hear how much um, commissioned display boards go for these days. Uh, maybe I should get back into the business. I, I got burned out on it pretty quick, but uh, I I was clearly not pricing my boards appropriately. <laughs> if this is the case, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Just saying, Eric. If you do actually do that, I will be your test dummy. <laughs> but yeah no it's it's very much a like this could totally be solved as a private matter where the event organizer and the player in question keep the situation to themselves and just solve it quietly which is the way it should be done for these kinds of things now because there's no need to blow up an event for something like this where it's oh blah 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 you put something on someone's display board i got a red card for something stupid it's like no you you did this they gave you a red card if you have an issue with it talk to the to be try to understand where the to is coming from now if it's something like oh yeah i know this guy blatantly cheated or broke terrain on a stream or mid game or something then like, okay, that's a different thing. That's excessive destruction and whatever to people's property. People don't need to make a big deal about this. It's a private matter. Like, just be grown-ups and let it happen and just move on. That's my personal take on it because yeah. it's none of our business. So I want to inject a, a funny story so we can get back on track of the uh, event. So um, long ago, uh, when I was working with the other podcast, and sure enough, I had one of my commission display boards being done. And the guy was like, hey, I'm going to be at the event. He says, all right, I'll, the, I will save you the charges for shipping because I'm already mailing a crate full of terrain for the event. I'll just put your display board in there. He's like, cool. Four days before the event, he uh, drops from the event. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, dude, your display board's already on its way. I had to ship it like a week ahead of time to be sure it got there on time. So a um, Alexander Fennell, who's uh, notorious for, I should say notorious, that's right, famous, I should say, he was the guy who uh, got tonied at uh, LVO and mm -hmm. uh, became the pillar of great sportsmanship. Well, he was at the event and realized, wow, oh, well, I forgot my display board. I've been a bit of a pickle. <laughs> and he happens to be playing Necrons, and I made a Necron display board. So there's like, just use this one. So suddenly, it became like the internet got a hold of this that I made Alex's display board, which is not exactly true. <laughs> so then it became like world famous, and then all of a sudden it got lots of pictures on it because Alex, I think, actually won the event. And of course, there's pictures of his army on the display board. End up making like six of those display boards because people are like, I want that. That looks awesome. But like, okay. So. Mm -hmm. But I mean, at that point, that was just a like a honest whoops a daisies of. Well, he said he was going to be there. Well, turns out he can't be there. Right. So at that point, another person, like, happenstance, got to use it. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I think I saw pictures of it somewhere. But anyway, it was a funny thing. Yeah, so it was this kind of thing. 
events shouldn't really have to worry about these things being uh, a nick to their names because the Dallas Open was still a great time with the spread of players and the fact that at the end of the event, they actually gave us all the data to look at so we could actually analyze it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Anything that jumped out at you in terms of... Um, the exactly 23 Tyranids. <laughs> That's a lot. That's quite a bit. That's going to be a reoccurring theme as we get into the mid-table obscurity report. Yes. And also surprising how well they did as well as overall. So it was, it was impressive and uh, surprising how bad Admech did. I believe it was 23% win rate. Um, let me actually find it here. Uh, well, I'm actually going to burst your bubble, Eric. Mm-hmm. There was no one here at Dallas that played um, Adeptus Mechanicus. Oh, all right. I'm thinking of the wrong report by mistake. So um, the lowest winning, lowest percentage winning army was actually Death Guard. Wow. The Dallas Open. That means uh, our good friend Don Husen's performance is extraordinary for considering no one did that well at Death Guard besides him. I think he's probably got like, well, he had five wins, I believe. In the yeah, end. he went five and three. So was that like 25% of the Death Guard <laughs> win total? I <laughs> uh, sure as much think so, because um, looking at the event, out of all eight rounds, there was someone who played Death Guard that actually went 0-8. That's impressive. We salute you, sir. The perseverance to stick it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas overall, the percentages, so the two highest percentage winning armies were actually well, I should say it's like three because it was Chaos Demons with 63%, which at that point <laughs> uh I don't, I think it might be Don's friend Marcus. Um, because he was playing Disciples of Bellacor, which I'm assuming has to be Chaos Demons. Yes. Um, except he had like some Chaos Space Marine Raptors in there or something, I think. Oh, okay. He probably do. Yeah. Chaos still does soup well. So yeah, that's probably the case. But um, pure, like pure actual Chaos Demons had 63%. Night. Uh, Chaos Knights, along with White Scars, all had 63%, but Forces of the Hive Mind, so the actual qualification for mix of Gene Sealer Cults and Tyranids, had 69%. And there was exactly two of them. Okay, so it's a little skewed there's only two of them, because I was wondering if this, this... Gene Stealer in New Tyranids really does the soup really benefit at this point because they have so many mm-hmm. specific events. You know, you want to be all monofaction to get these extra bonuses. Yeah. So, taking out the forces of the hive mind, the, the highest percentage winning armies were Chaos Knights, Chaos Demons, and White Scars. But obviously, White Scars didn't take the event because they had to chew through at least one Tyranid matchup for every other round with Tyranids 59% win rate, which is fairly 
peaceful. But then again, the, the win percentage that I have here does not factor out the mirror match. Because I think it was something like round four, round five, that essentially paired all the tier hits against each other because they were all in the top the upper half of the tables and they just the system went yeah no we're gonna put bugs into bugs and more bugs into bugs and just no one's gonna have to play against tyranids for like a round that's actually pretty funny it sounds like something you would hear about actually in a piece of fiction where they you know lure two tendrils to rival high fleets into each other so yeah, it's very much kind of like the in the narrative where Imhotek the Stormlord actually pulls an orc wa into a tyranid tendril and lets them fight over a barren desert. Sounds good to me. Uh, but yes, otherwise, I'm. it makes me very happy to see that the army that was the third in populace, Eldar, so they only had 10 people there compared to 11 Tau and then 23 Tyranids um, was able to pull it out on top because Eldar is a very deep book. There's a lot of stuff that people haven't discovered about that book yet. Like, I know there's Yunari possibilities. There's... Uh, no, there's um, not. Don't say that. Sir, <laughs> I'm going to admit it. There is Yunari stuff that people can figure out how to do it. It just it needs to be the right person. Um, and then obviously custom craft worlds are starting to get explored rather than just Ulthway or anything else that's already there, which makes me excited to see the meta hopefully change change around a little bit. I know Tyranids are still going to be the big boogeyman because of the fact that they're just utterly terrifying with the amount of mortal wounds that they throw at each other. But it'll still be refreshing to hopefully see things change around a little bit with Eldar becoming more and more popular. And I'm kidding about that. Thing. No, I'm actually toying with the idea. There's quite a few options. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to upgrade in my Jakari list to reflect the current meta? And it just feels like there are some Asuriani options that are better, but rather than doing soup, I can do them as a Nari so they're all kind of mixed into the same detachment, and I'm finding, you know what? This isn't half bad. So there's an interesting play there. Mm -hmm. And just saying right now, it is totally possible for the Incarn to one-shot Trajan. Ooh, I like that already. I know this from first-hand experience, because <laughs> I had the Incarn roll four fives on their Strands of Fate, and they kept every single one of them and touched Trajan, and Trajan exploded. Oh. Oh, that good. Well, I mean, when you take four essentially last cannons to the face, there's not much that you can effectively do. <laughs> That's true. Indeed, it is. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Quick round the world. Some other events that were happening over the weekend. Uh, if you live in Spain, you were quite busy because they don't have one. They had three GT events, uh, two of them being team tournaments. That'd be uh, the GT uh, Malorosa, hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, as well as the GT de Berimo uh, was another team event there. So really cool to see that, as well as the uh, Torino Crypta de los something. I apologize. I'm just butchering this left and right. Oh, uh, Yes, thank you. 
In addition to that, the clash of Alba in Scotland saw uh, Innes Wilson take top spot, going 5-0 and with Tyranids. And then here locally in the States, in Loveland, Colorado, there was the Battleshock GT, and um, saw some familiar faces that used to live here in Arizona do pretty well in that. But their top player at this point was Matt Evans with High Fleet Kraken. Uh, your top five rounded out looks more like this. Uh, Evans and Shaw with Taosep, Tom Collin with the Suriani, Marshall Peterson with Blood Axes. That's right, works. Not going away anytime soon. Ben Neal with Grey Knights in this match of format. Evans with High Fleet Kraken. So, very cool to see that as well. Yep, it is It is definitely prevalent that Tyranids are going to be the new, the new boogeyman for a while in most events because of the fact that until they get their FAQ or any kind of change, um, the, the Maliceptor is a golden boy and the mobility that the entire army has is, is amazing because it sounds like it's really, really fast with Raveners and Harpies being able to fly and shoot things. Or you just bring enough Tyrannocytes and Pyrovores to literally melt your opponent's army. Because <laughs> I think oh. that's, I think that's what Lennon was trying out. And then, as we've already been hearing about Dreadnought spam lists, you can do the same thing with Carnifexes. They're, they're pretty much at the same stat profile in terms of, you know, T7, uh, 2 plus save. Pretty nasty there. And uh, so, looking at the mid table meta, so this is again for those of you new to the show, what we do is look over all the GT level events, uh, five rounds or more from the past week, and we take a stock on all the factions that went either three and two or two and three, so you know exactly what the meta is in the most popular part of the uh, tournament circuit, the mid-tables. And it's actually came in second. They made up 8% of the meta, which is uh, still a healthy size, um, considering when you, the rest of the breakdown, because there's a, definitely a cliff where we saw a lot of um, codices really become you know, very popular, then all of a sudden non-existent. Still, the top uh, nemesis you need to worry about is Tau, so you're going to have to uh, deal with it. Tau made up uh, almost 12% of the total meta in the mid-range, and then it's a pretty even split right around that 7% range of Eldari, uh, Marines of all flavors, uh, Sisters of Battle, Necrons, and Drukhari. Then after that, the next closest is actually half as much. So you're half as likely to run into anybody not on that list. So if you can tech into those six, seven lists and uh, for mid-table obscurity, you might find yourself on a top table. So interesting. Uh, very different from what you could see at the top table where we saw four of the top six were tiered. Um, so at one point, I didn't even notice there was some over half of the uh, tiered lists or tournaments were actually... Uh, above the mid-table obscurity, four wins or higher. So I was like, oh, look at that. So pretty crazy stuff. Yep. The the wonder of, oh, you win your first three rounds. Well, you're probably going to get paired into Tyranids. <laughs> yeah, at this point, um, one, you know, you're, you're going to get at least one Tyranid game no matter what you do. And I uh, think there were some Tyranid on Tyranid on action. So we'll see what happens there. Yep. Like, um, for mid-table obscurity, I give this man my, my choice, um, Mr. William Ivy from 
from the Dallas Open. I never, I didn't get to see him. Um, I feel really bad for him because his very first round, he literally only scored 10 points. And William's actually pretty good, actually. I've seen him in a few other tournaments as well. I've met him at LVO. Pretty solid player. So, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. Yep. He was playing Imperial Guard, which I, I'm going to say this right now. Do not underestimate the sixes automatically wound. <laughs> that will definitely get some people. Um, But he was playing as... Uh, Gunnery experts and spotter details. I'm assuming that's some kind of custom regiment that they can make. Yep. Um, he took a tank A somewhere, but he has company commander, three tank commanders. Um, all of them have demolisher cannons. Um, he took one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight units of regular guardsmen. All of them with a, most of them with a mortar, some of them with a las cannon. Um, a unit of scions, one unit of four vets with plasma guns, and then two more platoon commanders, three scout sentinels with multi-lasers, and then a team of three heavy quad launcher batteries. Boom. And then um, three mortar teams, and then two full payload manticores. Uh... It's one thing I never liked about playing guard is there's this carpet of bodies between you and those big guns in the back, and they sit there and shoot at you with impunity. It's just like, uh. <laughs> especially because of the fact that they were the only people to get told, "Guess what? You don't suffer from shooting behind cover." That's true, and all that free war gear. Yep. So I definitely applaud William. Um, William for doing it the best that he could because looking at the rest of his record um he went four and four and he actually played my tau opponent in route two he beat come on he's load um he beat sisters and he also beat uh, Death Guard. And then he won his last two games, which was against Grey Knights. And do, 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 Necrons. All right. Yep. Totally. Although round six, he lost. He actually lost to Talon Rooney, which means he lost to Gene Steer the Colt. Ah, what's the plan? Generations in the making. So. Yeah, but I, I applaud him for doing the best that he could with Astro Militarum. I, I know Astro Militarum is going to get something in their book that is just going to be utterly bonkers. And I wish them the best of luck. Please don't kill me with last guns. Yeah. <laughs> the other list that jumped out at you at this point? It was just because of the fact that it was a list that was made to actually go and play the mission. Because of the fact that he had so many bodies and they had mortar teams and stuff like that. So he was able to take full benefit of 
still being able to sit behind cover and shoot while actually being able to play the mission with guard and just go, I'm going to touch that button. I'm going to touch that button. And you're going to have to chew through my bodies long enough to uh-huh. just get objectives. It was not a, a one and done kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, quite a bit to get through, and it's always the, like I said, there's this, this carpet of bodies whenever you're playing Imperial Guard. So hard to get through, and then like an ogre unit to, to make it even worse. Ugh, can't stand it. Curious to see what the new book will be like, though. Um, I'm curious to see how, what, how they update it, because they've, it's quite clear that uh, Games Workshop is not shy about changing mechanics around right now. Mm-hmm. So. But, um, what's up? What about for you, your mid-table warrior? My mid-table warrior at this point, um, you know, it's interesting to see kind of like, okay, what's what's something that may or may not have been like overpowered a few months ago and is now like, meh, I've gone to new stuff. and Because it's one of those things where I'm always a big fan of best in faction because you have to ride the highs with the lows over a 12-month season, even Games Workshop doesn't even do a 12-month season anymore. So I think I had to go, you know, a little further down. And it's one of my least favorite armies, but I still had to shake, you know, tip my hat to it. Sweet Lou bringing Blood Angels to the party. Yeah, I actually saw him initially. He was performing very well at the Dallas Open. And it was, all right, cool. We get to see Blood Angels. And I think it was up until round, like round four or round five that, oh, no, never mind. (laughs) Sweet Lou lost his very first game, but then went undefeated until his last round. Um, where he actually lost to Nick Nanavati for the Dallas Open. Yeah. It's a quick look at what this list looks like. Uh, that's right, folks. So uh, took Angel Ascent as well as an extra relic. Uh, Commander Dante with a Sanguinary Priest. Two Sanguinary Priests, excuse me. He's followed by an Assault Interceptor Squad and two Incursor Squads of five. A bodyguard veteran squad of five, four, excuse me, uh, company champion, and then a unit of five Death Company Marines, all with Thunder Hammers. One unit of four Sanguinary Guard, one unit of five Sanguinary Guard. The four man unit has N Carmine Swords. The five man person has the Power Fists. And then he has a large Vanguard veteran squad featuring one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine veterans and one sergeant. Uh, the sergeant's got a relic blade and storm shield. Everybody else is equipped with a lightning claw and storm shield. And then going total classic. We haven't seen this in quite some time. Devastator squad, all with grab weapons in a drop pod, along with a uh, whirlwind. Yep. And you were actually right the first time when you were reading over the blaze guard squad. That is a five man squad because it's the sergeant is listed separately because he can. It is a, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because he can take a different pistol. And another quick shout out to because he's just a friend of the show, so I want to give him a quick shout out. Uh, Colin McDade, 
going uh, six and two in his home event. Um, he's been on the show several times. Uh, talk about his uh, exploits as a Harlequin player. He's been playing Harlequins now for two straight seasons. And uh, he actually went with Dark. So all that brown meat that you find along the legs of the turkey. No, 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 no. This is for those who are not familiar. I, I always took, I saw Dark as an opportunity for as blending into my uh, Drakari list because it gives you the extra AP as well as the fight on death for free, which is pretty cool. Yep. And I believe he laughed at the balance sheet because he still has a total of four, of four Void Reavers in his list. Four Void Weavers and three Star Weavers. To that, he says. <laughs> Add to that as well, you did a four Sky Weavers, that's the jet bike, and you did a five Sky Weavers, all of them with uh, Shuriken Cannon and Zephyrglaive. A little bit of change there. It used to be uh, Haywire Cannon, but Shuriken Cannon seems to be the order of the day. A Solitaire, a... Uh, one, two, three units of players. Looks like they're all five band deep. And uh, equipped with Harlequin's Kiss, one Caress, two Caresses, excuse me, and two Blades, as well as two Fusion Pistols, which I thought was an interesting choice. Uh, two True Masters, and of course, a Shadow Seer with the Ghoul Masks. So, which I believe is the thing that turns off OPSEC or op- turns off actions. I looked that one up. It's not going to matter for me because it's. Clowns. I'm terrified of clowns. As a custode player. As a custode player. Not real. <laughs> but no, clowns are very, very creepy. But no, it I I saw Colin uh definitely party around the, the top tables for a good minute. Because yeah, looking at the tables that he was playing at, he never dropped below the seventeenth table. That's yeah, impressive run and he's always been a solid performer so glad to see him do well at the event i'm looking at his record i'm actually very curious what his fourth round opponent was oh he was playing into john lennon so he's playing to tyranids uh yeah he probably got exploded by mortal wounds <laughs> so just to uh confirm uh ghoul mass it's uh, specific to dark in your opponent's psychic phase the barrack can attempt to deny one psychic power as if he were a psyker and uh, it allows an R ability that if you're within three inches of this model, that unit loses objective secured. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also confirming what he's playing into, John Lennon's list. Um, this is an idea that I've heard people kind of spit around where he still has the two Maliceptors for the psychic battery because it's an amazing add-on to the army. But he also took three... Uh, no. Yeah, three units of pyrovores. Pyrovores. Yep, the pyrovores. They um, I believe with the update to their stat line, um, their guns on the top of their backs have two different flamer profiles. One of them is something like strength six or something, and the other one is like strength five. I, it's they're all roughly about the same. It just changes the number of shots and maybe something else on it. Because I heard people kind of joking around with the idea that you can shove pyrovores into a tyrannic. You can shove multiple pyrovores into a tyrannocyte, which is their transport, and just float them around the board. (laughs) But otherwise, um, he has a total of 10 Raveners in there, and the Raveners are just wonderful, wonderful things, along with some Venomthropes and nine Warriors. 
a flyer, a flying hive tyrant, a neurothrope, and tyrant guard, which I'm assuming are used to keep stuff like the neurothrope safe, and then a walking hive tyrant, and then tyrant wow. royals. And he was playing this all as high feet kraken, so he got to be real, real fast. Did he did? My goodness. Well, right then, that brings us to the ITC top 10. So after all this event, who indeed has cracked the top 10? A little bit of movement here. Uh, Sean Wrights remains in 10th place with Tau Empire. 9th place, Marcus Hinson with Suriani. Uh, Brandon Weiss in 8th place with Tau. 7th place, we have Ben Jones with Suriani. 6th place, uh, dropping down a spot is Ryan Steiner with Custodes. Moving up a spot to take his place is Innis Wilson. The big win there at the Alba GT in Scotland with Tyranids. So this seems to be his latest uh, army du jour. Uh, Mike Porter, uh, last seen playing Harlequins, takes uh, fourth place. Thomas Ogden in third with Tao. Matt Robertson with a, uh, and it seems to go back and forth between Nids and, and Harlequins. I'm curious to see where he goes next with that. Is in second. And still in first place is uh, Manny Chima with uh, whatever list he feels like breaking this week. So. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm. I think the top ten might get shuffled around a little bit with some of the Art of War guys ending up. Um, they might end up shuffling around the the top ten just a little bit with Nick Navadi's big win here at the Dallas Open. But otherwise, I I don't think the Art of War guys have gotten enough events underneath their collective belts to skyrocket themselves up into the top ten until later this season. Right, and that's exactly what the issue is. Yeah, they, their yeah their points per event is staggering, but it's uh, they haven't got their everybody in the top ten has already got six events under their belts at this point. So as those guys start uh, making their way through the tour. In the circuit, uh, the points will come and start displacing some of those guys in the top 10. But until then, that is your ITC top 10. Yep. And the season's only going to get wilder as Chaos Knights come out. Chaos Knights and Imperial Knights come out, come up for pre order this weekend. And then the next week, depending on what comes. You might see a random night player up in the top eight of an event somewhere because someone is like, oh, that's a lot of armagers. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see that coming out. And then any particular previews you're looking for for next week, uh, this week's rather um, preview from GW, because that could probably be up for pre-order in the next few weeks. Uh, once they confirm that the big scary demon model that they've been showing off in all of their ads is effect is officially Angron, then yes, absolutely yes. I'd just be curious to see if that all, you know, we're finally actually getting Chaos Space Marines, and then, of course, the promise later in the month that we're supposed to be looking at, uh, of course, the Leagues of Otah. We're still having getting a few glimpses here and there. 
uh, hopefully even Demon Codex mixed in with there. So lots more to go before the uh, end of the year comes. One thing I am hoping to get a little more information of, I was it was kind of a throwaway line in the, uh, uh, I guess there's a new Nachbund campaign book coming out. Yes, yes, there is. I think it was something like Rift War. Something, something like that. Yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, neat. There is a army of renown for all you Homoculus Covens fans. So, you know, it wasn't that long ago, I think it was 6th or 7th edition, one of the two, uh, you had your a separate Homoculus Covens Codex, which was nothing but a collection of uh, uh, formations, which sounds kind of dull, but that's where the old Corpse Thief Claw formation came from, as well as the Scarlet uh, Epicureans, which was the it was one of those formations that just terrorized. It was one of the only ways to play competitively with uh, Jakari for a long time. So curious that that will make its way back into ninth edition. I'll be very excited if that's the case. All I hope for is that they don't dare try to bring back Wounding on Two Liquifiers. <laughs> Probably not. But um, yeah, was, there's some neat stuff going on in that book. Um, it was. It was it was a lot of fun. My both people looking like, where's the rest of your army? It's just like, nope, this is it. Six Talos, one Kronos, one Hamaculus. Let's go. Um, and Eric, as a little surprise, surprise, I'm actually doing stuff. Um, I'm actually also going to be participating in Scarry's little chat session that he does with people this Friday. Um, so you can catch me on that bit on get... Friday morning. Sweet. You're going to be putting paint on it? Uh, I'm going to be trying because <laughs> I'm going to be getting off of work at 2 a.m. the night before. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my God. So, but no, it's I haven't gotten to chat with Scary in a while and I know we had him on the show um, several months ago, almost a year ago at this point, it feels like. Um, and it'd be nice to have him come on again. Because he is a wonderful person to chat with. Last time I was able to actually chat with him. Absolutely. One last announcement. Uh, if you guys missed us at the Scorched Earth Open, you now have another opportunity to uh, hang with uh, Robert, Ray, and I. And this will be September 10th and 11th. Look for the Smite Club Open. We'll be uh, running a fall event. This will be a GT size event. Brand new venue for both of us. And uh, it's going to be in the Tempe, Arizona area near Area Sioux, close to the airport for those of you coming from out of town. We have uh, room for 120 players. And uh, so tickets will be going on sale shortly, as well as more details. But just a quick announcement as a save the date uh, September 10th and 11th Smite Club Open GT. All right, that's a good thing to know for me. Because <laughs> I had no idea this was going to happen, because I thought it was going to happen in October. Yeah. No, it was, we were trying to nail down the last couple of dates. Uh, papers have been signed. We are ready to go forward, fire up the uh, terrain equipment. We're going to get going on all this. So, very excited about this. All right. So, all right. at this point, this is replacing Akatio Onslaught, it sounds like. Uh, it looks that way, and um, so it's a great venue. It's just something, as we look at it, it's uh, a tremendous amount of space, and but also has a wonderful amount of amenities such as restaurants and 
uh, close proximity to other areas, which was something that was lacking, I think, from our last two venues. And um, so that was something where you had to kind of drive to get to where another, um, like if you're looking for food or something like that, as well as, the, especially when we did Acatillo, that was one of the key things. Granted, it was the peak of uh, COVID at that point, but uh, every restaurant was just, you know, just either half full or just didn't have a staff and it was, it was pretty sad so it's just like oh my gosh so we were trying to find something that had the amenities for out-of-town visitors to really enjoy uh the, the nightlife here that the phoenix area offers and we think we found that spot so look forward to having you all there all righty well then eric i think that's a perfectly good happy note for us tonight i think I would agree. So thank you again for listening to the Stormadatus podcast. My name is Eric. I'm Robert. And we'll be catching you next week with updates from the Seattle Open from GW and all the great previews. Talk to you then.